Welcome to the Yarn Barn. All right. Yes. Welcome back to In the Yarn Barn. And we're here again with, uh, again, for us and uh, for you listening the first time, but um, with Tom Van Gatenbeck. And uh, welcome, Tom. How are you going? Good yourself. Yeah, doing good, man. For a, um, well, for a Friday that we're recording this, so um, it's uh, yeah, it's good. Ready for ready for the weekend. It's uh, Fridays are always brilliant. I'm in uh, weekend mode from kind of Thursday afternoon onwards. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, I'm excited as well. It's about to well, it has ticked over to the afternoon here for Friday. So um, yeah. And, the legs are starting to raise, so I guess kick them up. <laughs> yes, yes, very good. Um, yeah, because obviously, um, you know, well, this time of year we've got these crazy time zones all around the country. Where you know, I'm over here in WA, Northern WA, we've got the the correct time zone, which is obviously right now it's nine thirty five. Um, for you down in Tassie, it's it's slightly you know more advanced than us, twelve thirty five. And then we've got those uh, those weirdos up in Queensland who just do something completely different. I don't know if it's one thirty-five for them or eleven thirty-five. I've I've sort of given up guessing. So yeah, it's, there are different. It's, it's, it's a strange sort up there. It's they? a strange place we live in. <laughs> they do, yeah. And um, you know, we won't go into the battle of the the states and or anything like that because we did that with Nick uh, briefly. I don't know if you listened to that podcast, but he gave uh, he gave the crew out it. Daniloquin a bit of a rev up um, and um, we haven't got any hate mail or anything from 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 the Denny mayor or anything yet so that's good uh, we obviously haven't reached that part of the the country yet so um but we won't we won't we won't say anything nasty about Queensland just the daylight savings things because that's just a bit of fun because <laughs> they're a large population and we don't want them to to be annoyed by us that's for sure um Although it's easier for them to throw stuff down to you as it is across to us, so you'll be the one that faces that wrath. Yeah, we've got anyway, a bit of a we're going on a bit of a tangent. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so yes, we we had a chat last week and it was it was really good. Um, but you know, as as technology does, it it doesn't uh, always play the game, and um, our AI technology didn't save all of the recording into the cloud. So fortunately for me, again, uh, I get the opportunity to speak with you and, and learn a bit more about you. And, and for those who have just jumped onto these uh, these podcasts, it's really just an opportunity for us to get to know uh, a dad, a real dad in real life who's going through real stuff and and understand, you know, some of the things that, that, that you've experienced Tom, and then, and then, no doubt from uh, the experiences that I've had with the other guys that have done these podcasts, um, you know, those have those experiences that you've gone through will resonate with other dads, and uh, and maybe some of those things that you've learnt uh, that worked for you, or or things that you're still uh, maybe challenged by. Other guys may have been through it and can support you, and and you can support them as well. So that's that's what this is all about, and uh, I'm really excited to to have a, another chat with you, Tom. So with that. Um, you know, let's uh, let's go from the start. Let's let's learn a bit about you, I suppose. Let's just go with uh, where you are at the moment, as far as your location, and obviously we've given some hints away for those playing at home. But you know, f- uh, give us a bit about where you are and, and and the family dynamics at the moment, and then we'll we'll go from there. 
Yeah. Um, well, I'm down in Tassie, which is a fantastic spot to be um, in Hobart and uh, working full time, uh, married with two boys, uh, Louise, four and a half, just about to start kinder next week. Um, and then Otto is two in a couple of months. Uh, they're both a handful, especially when they're together razzing each other up. Mm-hmm. Um, apart from that, yeah, work full-time and my wife works three days a week as a kindergarten teacher. Nice. Nice. So, yeah, two boys definitely understand that with my two boys, um, how they can be hands full. Um, I think they're a little bit more than a handful, uh, that's for sure. So, yeah, understand where, you, where you're at at the moment, that's for sure. And, yeah. Uh, Tassie, love Tassie. Um, spent a bit of time down there, traveling around here and there, and I think uh, you know there's there's so much that Tassie has to offer as far as tourism, obviously, but you know just a lifestyle. You know that you've got you've got awesome beaches, rainforest, and got those. I said it with Nick. You got those rocks with the the red stains on them, the Bay of Fires. And, uh, you know, and some really cool, I, I love Bruni Island down on the very south uh, of the island there. It's really cool. So, um, do you, how about, do you get out and, and around the place uh, with, with the family? Yeah, we definitely take advantage of, um, obviously, what you've mentioned. Um, from home for me, I'm probably 20 minutes out of the city, um, 10 minutes in the other direction. And we're at a, you know, we've got a handful of beaches to choose from. Um, one which is really good for the kids. There's no uh, swell or anything. It's literally like a kid's swimming pool. It's fantastic. Um, and then, yeah, heading back towards the city, um, probably 15 minutes on the other side of that, we've got the potential to go uh, hiking and bushwalking for, you could go for 12 hours if you wanted to doing a, you know, a loop or a return leg. Um so, yeah, getting out into nature is great. Um, obviously, retail isn't fantastic if you compare it to, um, say, Melbourne. Uh, but who wants to drag kids around a retail environment anyway? So. <laughs> Not me. That's no. why we live in, in Karatha, <laughs> where there's very limited of those. It's Kmart and Woolies and Coles, and that's about it. <laughs> so, oh, kids wow. don't want to go there. Or the tip shop. Yeah. The tip shop's good. You know, you get some bargains at the tip shop. But other than that, that's no, pretty. It's pretty good. The kids don't want to come, so you just uh, you just go and do your own thing, which is nice. So, um, what about if we we go back a bit further? You know, um, you know, as prior to being a dad, what was what was Tom up to? Um, it's interesting. I'm the polar opposite of who I used to be. Um, Growing up, when I had my own license, initially um, I had two bumper stickers on my car, which is, um, I laugh at them now. One was a map of Australia with, um, am I allowed to swear? Um, Again. <laughs> it had, had fuck off, we're full, basically, like full right-wing um, redneck sticker. Um, and the other one was the Greens Triangle, um, as in the political party. And in the middle, it actually had greens till lies, I think it was. Um, I've softened a bit since then. Um, I guess I'm middle of the road politically now, but um, a lot more empathetic uh, towards 
I guess, asylum seekers or those wanting to immigrate to Australia. Um, but I guess most of it has been life experience that's, yeah, rounded those sharp corners and softened me a little bit. So, yeah, mm. um, a lot of that, I guess, comes from, well, like I said, like it, life experience, um, lucking into a lot of good things and um, having a little bit of bad luck uh, and some bad choices um, through life as well. Which is, I think, fairly standard for most of us, that's for sure, going through those those various um, milestones of, of life, I suppose, the ups and the downs. What what are some of those things? You share a couple of those things with us, some of those, you know, maybe one of those highs and one of those lows that has been uh, a big catalyst in that change of, of, of Tom? Yeah, um, I guess growing up, I wasn't much of a, a socialite through school. I had a handful of mates... Um, like three or four that I held dearly. Um, coming out of high school, uh, one of them didn't continue on from year 10 um, and we lost touch. Um, this was pre-mobile phones and social media, I guess, so it kind of dropped off the radar. Um, and another one moved to uh, Queensland. So um, it left me starting year 11 and 12 almost with no friendship base. Um, within school, anyhow, I had a network outside of school, um, but it made things difficult. Um, but it also, I guess, looking at the, the dots in reverse, they all connected together. I, I made quite a good um, conversational-based friendship with my woodwork teacher in 11 and 12 that um, the whole way through year 11 and 12, I wanted to drop out Um Surprisingly, to become a process worker at Cadbury's, I thought earning $400 a week was going to be fantastic and life-changing. Um, <laughs> thankfully, he talked me into... And unlimited um, chocolate. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> uh, he talked me into staying, which was great. Um, and then uh, that was in year 11. And in year 12, my computing teacher actually approached me or at the end of year 11, um, approached me and said, look, we realise we're an academic-based uh, college and you're a non-academic person. You're doing hands-on, like electronics, design in wood, those kind of subjects. Um, we want to make a course that's fundamentally going to give you a strong foundation as a non-academic person. What, what can we do? And um, so I dropped a few things their way, uh, like work experience, um, some courses leaning towards the workplace rather than university. Um, and then fast forward into year 12, they had a, a class which could have had a better name. It was called Program Potential, but um, it was a mix of outdoor ed, um, <laughs> English for the workplace. Um, there was six weeks worth of work experience. Um, uh, we got our boat licence. We learnt to surf did camping trips um it was just like it was all uh, it was team building and just real life skill sets i guess that we learned through that course um and then at the end of that course um or at the end of the year the school got approached by a company in hobart that was looking for a, an apprentice um or someone to fill the apprentice role that they had as an opening um and the teachers put my name forward. So I ended up doing an apprenticeship as a locksmith, which 
I wanted to be an electrician my whole life um, and took on a locksmithing uh, apprenticeship, which was a complete change of direction, um, a lot less electronics and a lot more um, mechanics, I guess, in the background, which um, thanks to my dad's side of the family, we've got quite a strong mechanical aptitude. So um, I went with that. Um, and then from there, I kind of shuffled jobs around a little bit, uh, worked for some undesirable family businesses, um, some guys that were like 16-year-old kids. Um, and for the past five years, I've been working for a Swiss-based uh, security technology company, which um, I actually had my eyes on working for them 20 years ago when I started my apprenticeship. So um, it's kind of gone a full circle. Hmm. Um a lot of experience in the long run and here I am. So um, I've been here five years and don't plan on moving on. I can see myself, um, it's only four years until long service leave, I guess, or six years till long service leave. Um, I can see myself hitting that milestone and just still going, I guess you could say. So. Yeah, cool. Uh, what do you think yeah. it is about a, um, an employer that, that has you feeling that way? Um, that's a good question. Um, my current manager, so the company I work for has um, 20,000 people globally, um, about 1,200 in Australia, and I think there's like five or six of us in Tassie. But I think the accountability um, is a good thing. There's corporate structures there that, I guess, keep me on a very rigid and straight line, uh, which is good. I wouldn't be able to work for myself. I just end up laxing off and not getting work done. Um, so definitely having a line, I guess, to follow and a line to tie and the accountability is a good thing. Um, but also my manager, um, the state manager in Tasmania, um, treats it as if it was a small family business. So if I do need to duck off to the doctor or have a dentist appointment, if it's only an hour, he's quite happy if I just make up the time or... Um, you know, without it getting too out of control. Um, yeah, there's a little bit of flexibility there as well. So, and good products as That's well. Awesome. There. Um, yeah. Yeah, that flexibility is. I think it's you know it's it's been slowly making its way around the around the world, and and I think from what I can tell, you know, we're we're getting a lot of that too at the moment. Where there's opportunities for, you know, the working from home if you need to and, and being able to do those kinds of things, you know, gone are the days where it was just you, you rock up, you do your, those hours and you can't, there's no budging. And uh, I think that's, I think that's really good. That's a really good opportunity to, to be able to do that. And especially, um, you know, if you move into talking about with, uh, with kids, you know, as you guys have couple of young kids you know, that's that's extremely important as well when when things need to happen uh you know take the kid to school or uh what well, well coming up for you is kindy but you know to the doctors or any of those kinds of appointments you need to you need to be able to just just go and i think do you feel that as being a really important part of of being a parent as well is is having that flexibility uh, absolutely i am my own worst enemy where i'm uh, thanks to mum and dad, I've got a pretty strong work ethic. Um, I find it hard to um, pull back from work um, and put my family first in some instances. Um, but having the flexibility there and having a line manager as well that 
I guess, reminds you that it's there to be used um, helps me a little bit. And I think it's, mm. you're right, it's an absolute necessity. Um, I've got, uh, so Louis starting kinder next week. Um, we're going to ease him into before and after school care. Um, so the first five weeks of school, he's not going to have it. So I'll be doing kind of drop off and pick up. Um, and yeah, work has come to the party or come to the table with that, um, you know, for, for the flexibility to be able to do that, uh, which I'm thankful for. Um, if we didn't have to do it, I'd still be working my nine hours for the day, I think. So, um, yeah. yeah. Awesome. So when you're, when you're not working and when you're not doing 12-hour hikes through the rainforest, oh, I don't know if you actually said that you do it, but it's an opportunity for you to do that. You were talking about getting your steps up before we started recording. So I'm assuming uh, after you finish up today at work, you're going to go do a 12-hour hike through the rainforest to get those steps up. <laughs> um, you also uh, when we talked last time yeah yeah lock it in we also <laughs> talked about last time you, you do uh and have done for some time some some volunteering work what does that look like for you just so we can we can recap on that yeah so uh before i mentioned having a network of friends outside of school um at the start of year 10 i joined uh the junior and cadet program through the fire service here in Tassie, um, which is, I guess, like army cadets um, or police cadets, whatever you might do um, as a young'un. So we had our own turnout gear. We did hose drills, learnt about the vehicles, radio comms, that kind of thing. Um, so I was 15 when I started that. Um, by the time I was 17, I became a pager member, so I could... Um, so that was once I got my car license as well, so I could respond to um, some fire calls, um, just fire incidents like bin fires, vegetation fires, uh, that kind of thing. I wasn't allowed to respond uh, to car accidents or structure fires in case there was a fatality. Um, mm. When 18, on my 18th birthday, I'd already done my breathing apparatus course, so I had my 18th birthday at the fire station um, with, I guess, that second family around me, along with mum and dad and my normal friends and family. Um, and I was presented my structure gear. So from my 18th birthday onwards, um, I was responding to all fire calls. Um, and then I continued to do that for uh, 16 years. And then I had... Uh, Lewis was about to be born, so I had a five-year break. Um, and then uh, I've recently joined back up again to have a, I guess, try a second wind at it and see how we go. Awesome. Oh, that's, it's a much-needed service across the country, that's for sure, across the world, really. Uh, and I think a lot of that um, volunteering in that emergency services space is extremely important, especially for us. You know, we have that... Here in the um, in the regions of WA, it's uh, where there's very limited full time uh, full time workers in that space, except obviously police. But you know, for the most part, the, the fireys and the ambulance uh, officers are all volunteer. So I definitely appreciate that and and that longevity that you've you've put into it. Um, it's that's awesome. And now that you're getting back into it, it's what what are some of those big things that you that you you missed so much that is wanting to to get you back into it? 
probably um, three kids, if you ask me. I'd say it was uh, the uh, the smell. I know that sounds strange, but uh, my dad was a volunteer firefighter as well, and there's um, a particular smell about a fire station, which um, you can't explain. It's like a cross between diesel particulates, stale beer in the bottom of a um, like empty cans in the bottom of a, of a bin and sort as well. <laughs> Those three things put together, like you can't replicate it anywhere else. And it's just like that really takes me home to being a young kid. Um, I had kind of my second, third, fourth birthdays at dad's fire station growing up. Um, so it's triggering for a lot of um, happy memories. Um, post kids, uh, what I miss the most is the uh, camaraderie, the having the second family, having something consistent to go to. So the training night, obviously the call-outs are not consistent. They can be, they're very ad hoc. But um, yeah, having regular training nights with the same faces, new conversation, often quite deep conversation. Um, hmm. Yeah, just that second family. Um, you can't, well, I'm sure you can match it maybe through a footy club or you know, a cricket club or something. But, um, yeah, that's definitely what I miss the most, um, which I think, as you know, having kids, it's incredibly isolating. Um, hmm. And, yeah, I guess the, the social side of things is what, what has pushed me back into it. Yeah, that's, uh, I think, a couple of things there. I think, um, yeah, definitely the having that social aspect after kids is extremely important and, and it can be quite isolating, you know, especially, you know, especially if you've been involved in, in a sport or some sort of uh, activity that involves other people. This is for mum and dad too, but, you know, we, we often withdraw from that stuff because we want to be there at home and, and do all those things that parents do in those initial stages and, and support everybody in the house and make sure that that's, uh, you know, the environment that we, we create. But as a result, we sometimes tend to stay withdrawn from those activities that were bringing us joy external to the house as well. And that can just, you know, over time, it just gradually you lose, maybe it's the fitness, maybe it's the contacts or, you know, or the energy to actually go back and do those kinds of things. So it's, it is really important. I think for us as a, you know, uh, as dad's listening to this, you know, that, that mental health and wellbeing um, or emotional wellbeing to have some of those conversations as well, uh, going back to those places that bring us, um, bring us some joy or give us some physical activity and, and that camaraderie, I think is really important. And, and I definitely get, I understand the the whole concept around those those smells. You know, for me, it's it's the um, it's the leather and the sweat around um, boxing gyms. When I first started doing boxing, when I was like thirteen, it was um, at Bella's Boxing Gym in in on the outskirts of Hoppers Crossing in Melbourne, and it was um, just that smell. It was a, it was a farm too, so it was an old shed. It was dusty, and there was. You know, you had to run through the sheep paddock before you started, before you could make it into the gym. It was just really old school and, and the trainer used to smoke and, and that so it would fill with that plus, you know, m you know, sweat plus, you know, the leather from the gloves and the bags and all that kind of stuff. And and so when I listen when I smell like a leather boxing bag or something now or gloves, um, it just reminds me of that and it takes me back to, to a really fun time. Um but I think one of the things that we 
should be very clear on is that we don't need to make any colognes around those smells. Like I don't think anyone's going to purchase your, you know, eau de fire station cologne with um, <laughs> smelly beer cans, soot and um, whatever else was there. I just don't <laughs> think anyone's going to buy it. Yeah. <laughs> Diesel particulates, yeah. yes. Although it sounds good <laughs> on paper. <laughs> I don't think anyone's going to be buying it today. Oh, but yeah. So, yeah, so that's, I mean, that's, I think we've got a, a really good snapshot there of, of, of the importance of, of community as well. And, you know, especially, you know, you guys, you guys down there have had some, some pretty significant fires as well over the years. And, um, you know, and, and I think I imagine that, you know, that camaraderie and, and knowing that you've got a bunch of volleys around the place that are willing to jump in the truck and, and go and help is, is pretty it's a pretty special place to be and, and know that that's, uh, you know, there's people doing that, right? Yeah, absolutely. And um, uh, I guess flexing back to um, having a second family, we've got um, like a Facebook group chat um, with the station um, and it's good if you need to borrow a box trailer or do something, you can just put a shout out in there. I had to lift a fridge one day and, you know, put a message in there, anyone free to give me a lift with a fridge and 30 seconds later, someone's like, I'm on my way, I'll see you in five minutes kind of thing. So that's... Um, nice. Yeah, it's real good. It's it's better than family in some instances um, because everyone's local as well. Um, so if you do need to have a chat, um, you know, someone's there straight away. Mm. All right, so I want to move. I want to move to you as dad for a minute, if that's all right. What's uh, you know, having having two kids as young as they are, um, you know, going through the milestone this year of 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 kindy. What's what's those first you know four years looking like for you? What's it? What's some of those things that you've you've realised about yourself? Because uh, kids are teachers. You know, I, I like to say that kids will will show you the areas that you need to uh, improve or, you know, some of the areas that, uh, you know, you might need to start learning about because we haven't had to be exposed to certain things uh, in the past. And, and so, I, you know, I think teach, uh, kids are our teachers in some degree. So, you know, when you consider that, what's, what's some of the things that you've learned over the last couple of years that you, you didn't expect that you would need to learn? Um, uh, probably the biggest thing would be a deeper sense of empathy. Um, I've had some jobs where I've had to pull on my empathy um, a fair bit. I serviced um, and did maintenance on wheelchairs for uh, three or four years, which tugged my heartstrings a lot, um, seeing people in difficult circumstances. But that doesn't compare to being empathetic to your own children, I think. Um, knowing that they've got these little sometimes fragile needs um, that just need to be met um, is, yeah, no words can prepare you for that, I guess. Um, and the importance of sleep as well. Otto, our second born, um, was born a little bit stressed. Um, so for the first five weeks, he rarely slept. Um, he'd be awake for kind of nine hours, I guess seven, eight, nine hours. Um, he'd sleep for 15 minutes in your arm. You try and sit down on the couch with him in your arms 
he'd wake up. The dog down the road would bark, he'd wake up. Mm. You'd turn the kettle on, he'd wake up. <laughs> um, so um, we had some some sleep coaching, which got him on track. Um, but, yeah, even now he's not um, – he's nearly two and he still wakes most nights. Um, so, yeah, the importance of sleep. You can see why it's a form of torture um, for some people. Um, <laughs> It, uh, yeah, you can't, once again, words don't do it justice for sometimes how cruel uh, the lack of sleep can be, So, especially when you're returning to work as well. Um, mm. It's quite often, you know, you can wing it a little bit if it's those first weeks when, as a dad, you're on paternity leave. You can just go asleep when Bub sleeps or whatever and you can catch up on it. And then if you've got a little toddler around it, you know, if you've got a second one that's not sleeping well, makes it a little bit hard if you're tending to a toddler and trying to catch up on sleep. Um, mm-hmm. But then when you're back at work, trying to get home to your family, give everyone the right amount of attention and then try and get some sleep. It's, um, that's what I've found the most difficult. So. Yeah. Yes, it's, it is uh, something that I think a lot of us are, are lacking just generally is that really good quality sleep. But when you add in, when you add in all the stuff that is with uh, toddlers, <laughs> um, I think we also have to increase our levels of patience, don't we? Because, you know, like you said, that, that empathy for them, you know, they don't, they're they're going through their own stuff and they don't necessarily understand all the stuff and and uh and for us um you know when we we want that sleep we start getting a bit frustrated and we 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 just looking for that that sort of i suppose that space to be able to catch up on sleep if you can catch up on sleep but i think you can but you know just to get some good night's sleep or whatever it might be and um and 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 it just doesn't come all the time when you want it or need it and uh, it it can get it can get quite frustrating so i think that having that level of empathy for the young ones but also for us just having some patience with ourselves and and just going it will come um you know and maybe we need to just adjust some things and you know sleep sleep um uh, you know that sleep schools and stuff like that is 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 really helpful as well to have access to that because, you know, again as parents as new parents in particular, it's really, you know, we're we're just learning as we go, and you know for anyone who's who's listened to part of my stories, you know, with that um, silent reflux that our firstborn had was was six months of you know we were Reed was only able to sleep for forty five minutes at a time like maximum, and uh, and so we didn't have the awareness or understanding that there was sleep things around or or the formula which we found out from the pediatrician six months later that we could access at the supermarket that would help him you know all those things it was just we just sort of did it together and 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 pushed through obviously gps and stuff we went to see but they weren't very helpful so yeah that that patience and and empathy i think are two really big key factors in in parenting as toddlers for sure Absolutely. So, so when we, uh, you know, we talk about those milestones I mentioned before about yeah, kindy. What's what's some of the things that are going through your head? You know, as the kids start to get older, you know, you're starting to see these new things happening, and um, you know, what 
how does that make you feel as besides you feeling older I'm, uh, <laughs> if you're the same as me each milestone that the kid has it makes me feel a little bit older as well but you know how are you, how are you feeling about the the next phase for your parenting journey with your kids yeah look um i'm a little bit excited about it to be honest um louis really at that age now with him starting school he's um uh you know, he's met all his milestones, um, I guess you could say. And um, so we've got a, a functioning human being now, which is fantastic. Um, so I'm excited that I can interact with him more. We can go to the park. Um, we definitely have a good rough and tumble play um, kind of a bond happening. Um, I do have to keep reminding him that he needs to ask me if he wants to play rough. Because sometimes we'll be sitting on the lounge room floor and I'll just cop an arm around and like think someone's trying to take me out. But um, put you in a yeah, chokehold. Um, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Like, or just yeah, you'll not punch me in the back, but he'll just start climbing up my back and uh, you know the way that he grabs me, you know, almost twist twist my head off. But um, he's pretty good. He'll ask. He'll come up and you say, "Dad, can I play rough with you?" So um, that's good, but um, and also turning two, he's really hit that point. Um, he's only got a few words um, coming out, and obviously not stringing sentences together, so he can't communicate to us. But he's definitely, you know, he can follow instructions if we tell him to, you know, pass him his nappy and tell him to go and put it in the bin. He'll wander over to the kitchen, open the door put the nappy in the bin, shut the door and come back again. So um, it's a really exciting time, um, but it's also daunting because I know, I guess from the limited research that I've done, um, kind of around four is when boys get a bit of a testosterone hit um, and then mm. the girls start to excel. You know, he's going to be starting school and there's going to be some girls accelerating in, in front of him. How's that going to make him feel? Um, yeah, so I guess I'm, I'm just nervous about having a, a boy four and a half years onwards. Um, and then Otto, obviously, once he reaches four and a half, I'm sure the, the same fear will, um, will fall in my lap. Um, yeah, so I'm just trying to, I can remember back to being about four and a half. Um, I've got some pretty good childhood memories. Um, so I guess I just try and replicate that and what can I do? try my best and hope for the best and fingers crossed it all works out yeah exactly it's yeah those those milestones and that i suppose that fear of of what's next is 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 so common and you know i think for me it's always just gone back to that patience and just you know just just being comfortable in in being able to ride through the um you know all these stages because they are they are all different and you know definitely the having a second boy is it, we understand a bit of that process now but you know it, it's it was when i suppose only the last sort of couple of years uh so my boys are um one's just turned seven and the other one's eight turning nine this year but um you know for the longest time we treated them basically like twins at 15 months apart so that you know it was it was really easy to to do that and and they didn't really care at the time and it's only in the last sort of yeah i suppose maybe two years 18 months 
that they've now gone and we've seen the two different personalities and they don't like necessarily all the same things anymore. And, you know, we can't just go and get them the same clothes anymore. And the hand-me-downs, like the youngest one, doesn't necessarily want the same kind of clothes as the older one anymore, you know. So, um, it's it's interesting seeing those those little dynamics play out too, which you, you'll see in, in due course as well. Um, but, yeah, I think those... Um, those those moments where we we start seeing especially when you get into school like you said you know start having that um, you know just wanting to be there and 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 almost be a fly on the wall for a lot of that sort of stuff so that we can see what they're like at school and and see how they interact and all that sort of stuff hey yeah um Sometimes I wish I wasn't a fly on the wall. <laughs> yeah, I um, I just absolutely uh, yeah, that's right. I absolutely adore my kids though, and um, and like you said, you know, just I wish I could sit there all day and watch them at school and learning and excelling and yeah. Nice. All right, so I think um, you know, based off of what we've talked about so far today i think you know we've, we've touched on a whole range of things that that really talk about you know that camaraderie that um you know that connection that sort of being patient and and in having that community around you um you know i want to just touch on quickly the the yarn barn and you know your experiences being inside the yarn barn and what that sort of means to you and and, and how that impacts your life yeah um I guess uh, I wasn't, well, I was hunting for something, uh, not necessarily the yarn barn, but um, this was before I decided to go back to the fire service. Um, I really, I'd been listening to some um, Janet Lansbury, Maggie Dent and Stephen Bidoff um, about raising boys and they were talking about having a community of men around your boys, I guess, so when they get to that kind of, uh, high school age, 12, 13, 14, and they start looking for other male role models. Um, you have good uh, role models there ready to go. Uh, so I tried a few shoes that didn't fit um, and uh, because I wanted to expand on having those male role models for my boys. Um, one of them was quite interestingly uh, in Hobart. I'm pretty sure it's called men's work um, and they meet there's different groups of men that come together and just have a real raw open and honest discussion um, essentially venting for want of a better terms um, and then if if you think that they've posed a question to you um, you're kind of sitting in a circle kind of like therapy as you'd imagine on TV um, or group therapy um, you put your hand up and you'd say may I respond um, and they could say, look, I'm not looking for advice or I'd love to hear your, you know, your thoughts on what I've just said. So it was incredibly raw, um, incredibly respectful. And it actually ended with a big, uh, like a manly group hug at the end. Um, and that was once a month, I think. Um, it was probably a little bit too deep for me. Um, I didn't think I had much past trauma that I needed to bring. Um, to that area and I also didn't think it was going to fulfill uh, 
finding a, a male role model for the boys uh, growing up. So I was back on the hunt again, joined a dad's group in Hobart, um, similar to the Yamba, just a little local Facebook group. Um, and then met a couple of guys from there. Uh, one was into hiking, so we got onto that. Um, shout out to Ryan, who then put me onto the dad's network. So um, I think it's, um, for me, the purpose of uh, the yarn barn is, um, as I said before, I don't think I've got any past trauma that I, I need to air out at the moment, but I definitely appreciate the sacred space that it is, um, especially being online. It's more, there's no monthly commitment to turn up and meet a group of men. It's kind of flowing as things uh, progress. Um, but I like being there for, uh, I guess, the lighthearted side of things, um, because my fancy the odd joke or, you know, something like that, the camaraderie. Um, but I also treat it as a bit of an insurance policy that maybe one day, um, something will happen um, where I need to call on that help. Um, whether it's the boys going through something, who knows, might be in 12 years time and they've got their first girlfriend or something. So, um, you know, I'm sure I'm, I'm going to come across something where I'll need that group of blokes. Um, so yeah, at the moment I'm treating it as an insurance policy um, and that social aspect where hopefully a few more of us Hobart guys can get together. Um, and kind of have those positive realm, male role models around the boys as well. Nice. The insurance policy, I like the way you phrase that. It's a, it is, it's true. It is a bit of an insurance policy for all of us, I think, to be able to have have a group of guys that, you know, almost, with almost 3,000 members and it's it's pretty pretty special sort of set up at the moment with the guys and, and the integrity is, is, is high and that's, I think, a big plus and, and so, um, yeah, I, I appreciate that. That's a that's a really cool way to put it. Um, so, Tom, just to to close out, what's uh anything else that we that we should know, or or anything that you want to you talk about? Um, no, I don't think so. I'm pretty crazy. I'm sure I'll think of something. Um, <laughs> once we close this off, I'll have a rush of things coming together. But um, yeah, no, it's been good. It has been good, mate, and yeah, I appreciate your patience with all the, the technology stuff. Uh, but you know, thanks uh, to the cloud, we're we're still able to continue this uh, this episode and 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 get the guys listening some some really good conversation. I really appreciate it. And uh, so for all you guys listening, thanks for your time. I appreciate it. Um, and thanks, Tom, for for jumping on board, sharing your insights. Um, and and for anyone who's listening, if you liked it feel free to subscribe uh, and join us next week when we we talk to some more dads about uh, their life. So, um, yeah, cheers again, Tom. Thanks for listening, everyone, and we'll see you guys next time. No worries. Thanks for having me.